This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. The pandemic is bringing into focus the way we treat older people in long-term care homes. Nearly half of the COVID-19 related deaths in Canada have occurred in nursing homes, sometimes amid disturbing and unsafe conditions. This past week, the Premier called the situation a wildfire. And on Tuesday night, MPPs at Queen's Park passed an order forbidding nursing home staff to work in more than one facility. Ford also said he will be transferring healthcare workers from hospitals where there is some excess capacity to the care homes where they are needed most. Joining Libby Snymer to discuss the deteriorating situation in nursing homes, Miranda Ferrier, president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association, and Dr. Doris Grinspoon, chief executive officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. The greatest focus, if not the only focus, Libby, has been in hospitals. And uh, whether it is long-term care in particular, or if you look at shelters, or if you look at home care, they are the poor cousins always, always. And that's why we are in the absolute tragedy that we are now. And in home, in nursing homes, we knew that this would be the case because yeah. uh, the residents in nursing homes, even if they could access a ventilator, the chances of survival are very low. So RNO for many, many weeks, over a month, has been asking universal masking for nursing homes. Give them the PPE. That has not happened except of after an outbreak. Similarly, with the measure the Premier now uh, took, which we welcome. So we are glad the Premier is taking charge of that, but there is a Ontario Medical Officer of Health. And these things should have happened a long time ago, Livy. I will let Miranda comment too, but... It got, it got to stop the way we treat long-term care facilities, nursing homes, and retirement homes included. Okay, Miranda, your take? So uh, I completely agree with Doris. Um, long-term care homes, we as well with the RNAO, the Ontario PSW Association, has just been hammering uh, the ministries uh, for more PPE. Uh, we as well were involved in conversations uh, leading up to this. We knew that long-term care homes may be a major issue, um, and unfortunately, that is the case. Uh, we're happy to see uh, that, like Doris said, that the Premier has stepped up, and now we're starting to see an influx of PPEs into our long-term care homes, but uh, more is still needed to stop this spread. And, and to concur with Miranda and Bill, Donit Levy, we have been asking for massive, massive scale-up of testing in nursing homes. In fact, mm-hmm. if we really wanted to do well, we need to test every single resident and every single staff that works in a nursing home because it's not only for clinical treatment that we need. We need it also for surveillance to get a handle of what's going on and how to prevent outbreaks. You know, I keep saying it's like 
Uh, the premier says we are in a wildfire. Yes, but we need to get into the fire in the homes where there is no outbreaks ahead of it, not after it. There, there are things happening, like, for example, uh, the, the, the hospitals now say they will send their staff to nursing homes to support nursing homes. Let me tell two things about that that was mentioned just before we came into, into your uh, program. Uh, first of all, nursing home staff have expertise. Hospitals have, have a different type of expertise. Second, mm-hmm. my colleagues in hospitals are going to work having tested positive, and they still are required to continue to work in many of these hospitals. So let's first get a handle on hospitals not to have staff that have tested positive to continue to work, and then let's have them help. We have 9,000 RNs and 5,000 students that can work as PSWs ready to go to nursing homes. Miranda knows we work collaboratively. We don't need hospitals to save nursing homes. We need to beef up nursing homes during COVID and after COVID. Miranda, what would you like to leave us with? Personal support workers, we hear from our members um, every day uh, that work in long-term care, and they truly are, their hearts are with their residents. They are doing their best with what they are given. And um, we just want to tell the public, thank you for all of your ongoing support of the personal support workers and the nurses. Uh, They need as much support as they can get right now. So thank you. Okay. And Miranda, um, for the next time, we're going to have to talk about the situation in home care, but that's for another day. Now, Doris, Doris, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, I, I keep saying I go to sleep thinking about this and wake up and dream about this. And I hope that many, many, many of the remaining homes will not see any outbreaks and that yeah. we will we'll continue to step up to the plate from a policy perspective to really le- le- give our uh, residents in nursing homes and their families the peace of mind and the safety that they need. Dr. Doris Grinspoon, Chief Executive Officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and Miranda Ferrier, President and Founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The enforcement of physical distancing rules has been stepped up over the past couple of weeks, but the number of complaints to 311 has come down which suggests more people are getting it and doing their part to reduce the spread. Of the tickets that are being given out, a lot of the offenses are related to people walking their dogs in off-leash parks that are now off-limits. According to Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders, his force has been conducting a ticketing blitz this past week with 100 officers committed to that. Toronto Police spokesperson Megan Gray gave us the numbers when she joined Libby Snymer on Wednesday. I can tell you over the last week, so between April 11th and 14th, uh, the Toronto Police Service officers have issued 65 tickets and 765 cautions for uh, various issues of non-compliance across the city. And is there a difference between the tickets that your officers issue and uh, that the bylaw officers issue? No, there's no difference. The bylaw officers have been given authority to uh, write those same tickets over this enforcement time. Uh, We've just been partnering with them to do that type of enforcement uh, in different areas across the city. And have you picked out hotspots? 
We do. We've had uh, 10 parks that we've identified as hotspots that we've been paying special attention to. Uh, some of the bigger places like Christie Pitts or High Park, uh, Bluffers Park and Trinity Bellwoods, those are our, all places where we're still seeing uh, a high number of, of non-compliance issues, uh, large people, large groups of people gathering, uh, using the amenities that have now been uh, put um, on the list of, of places that are we're unable to use, uh, and as well as just the overall social distancing measures that have been put in place by public health. How much is dependent on three one one calls? Because uh, it's very difficult to get through to three one one. Yep. 311 has uh, has uh, stepped up their capacity to take calls. Obviously, they've seen a dramatic increase in the number of calls coming forward. That's where we're encouraging people to uh, issue their complaints for any issues that they see with noncompliance. And then it's uh, that information along with the information that we get from our officers on patrols that feed into uh, that analysis of those hotspots. So it's both complaint-based, it's based on the observations of the officers who are doing those patrols, uh, and that's where we're uh, trying to focus our resources. So you have uh, 160 officers on this. How long uh, are they going to be on this blitz? Uh, so the enforcement blitz that started last week has actually been extended to further until further notice. Uh, so those officers that come from uh, not just our primary response frontline officers, but we have uh, redeployed, as you mentioned, officers from our mounted unit. Uh, our marine unit is assisting with some of those parks uh, that have uh, lakefront uh, boundaries to them, uh, as well as our community response and our neighborhood officers. Uh, we have pulled together all of those resources to do that enforcement, and it'll carry on until further notice. Okay, so what is the message you want to give to people who are thinking that, you know, it's it's not a big deal if I sit on a park bench or, you know, take my dog wherever? Um, what's your message to those people? Well, the public health officials have been quite clear in their directives on what everybody needs to do and all the responsibilities that people need to take uh, to ensure the flattening of the curve when it comes to COVID-19. Uh, and we need to all do our part. So when we're looking at going out to parks, uh, again, the directive has, has not been to, uh, you know, not to go out and get exercise, but you don't need to be congregating in groups of people. You don't need to be uh, going out and engaging in group sports like we've seen. Uh, you really need to be social distancing yourself from other people. Uh, you need to be only going out with members of your family and those who live in your home. Uh, we really all need to be doing what we can to uh, flatten that curve. And, um, you know, you may not be worried about your own health and safety, but I think it's important to realize that we all have a role to play in ensuring the health and safety of the community at large. So, uh, you know, while you may feel like there's no way you're going to get sick or you don't know anybody who's going to get sick, you don't know how that may impact somebody else. So I really think that we all need to continue uh, doing what we've been doing. I know for all the tickets we've written, we actually have seen some very good compliance um, by both businesses and individuals, and we would just encourage people to keep doing that. Toronto Police Spokesperson Megan Gray with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. We heard this past week from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about some new measures to help small business owners, many of whom are on the verge of closing their doors permanently. 
These include broadening the eligibility for the government-backed $40,000 loans. They've been expanded to include businesses with payrolls ranging from $20,000 to $1.5 million annually. And they are also promising to introduce help with commercial rent for April, May, and June. There is also a top-up to the CERB emergency benefit, which would allow workers earning under $1,000 a month to also collect the $2,000 a month benefit. On Thursday, our Fight Back panel discussion included Dennis Darby, President and CEO at Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters, Ted Mallett, Vice President and Chief Economist of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and John Schell, co-founder of the advocacy group Save Small Business. It's a little bit slower. It keeps slowing down with, uh, again, with the catering side, people moving to work from home. And then on the retail side, um, it hasn't really improved. It's actually maybe gotten a little bit worse, but uh, we're hoping for better times to come. And uh, how much would you say your business is down? Uh, it's down a, a good chunk, well over the well over the marks of what the the minimums are. So I don't know. We're, we just we're just we're going at it day by day to see how uh, how we can improve and what we can do to capture more audience. Let's bring in Ted Mallett from the CFIB. And Ted, uh, I gather that one in five of your members have no income at all. Well, it certainly looks like uh, the the average business across Canada is only running at one-third capacity uh, at that point. And and, uh, to hear of a restaurant and catering order that they're actually operating to some degree is actually, uh, uh, you know, it's good to hear that some businesses are able to keep going in spite of the kind of adversity that we're uh, we're dealing with, but uh, the, there's a it's really unprecedented in the degree of slowdown in business uh, taking place, and stories are are, are unique but uh, very dispiriting. So you know we're we're hoping that uh, eventually we'll be able to climb out of this with with some semblance of of, of uh, uh, strength in the next few months. Okay, Dennis Darby with the manufacturers and exporters. Um, how are your people doing, and does anything you heard today make things better? Well, certainly the uh, manufacturing sector has been a bit of up and down, depending on what, what sector you're in. So our members who are manufacturing food or some consumer products, you know, have their bigger issue is being able to continue operating, getting their staff to work. Uh, for co- companies in the hard goods or you know, metal manufacturing, a lot of those are are struggling. In fact, today that that will help some small comp- some of the smaller companies. More importantly, is getting that uh, the wage subsidy that the, uh, my colleague mentioned at the beginning, getting that in the hands of the business. Because right now that that will make a big difference for people to be able to keep their staff and be able to keep uh, even producing at a low level. A lot of companies have cut back shifts. A lot of Regrettably, a lot of people on temporary layoff. But uh, at this point, it's about execution. And right now, we need this. We need the money to to, to flow. And uh, and I think uh, the sooner the better. John yeah. Shell, uh, you uh, ran a campaign of, uh, on storefronts uh, of small businesses saying, "Hey, the CERB, that emergency benefit, will not help us." And you've said that the main issue is rent, right? The main issue is rent and grants. For sure, the main, the main issue is um, you know the people who have you know thirty four thousand businesses have signed on to our petition um, and you know calling for non debt solutions. These are mostly mom and pop shops, uh, often family run uh, local businesses, 
who either don't have the capacity to take on debt, no matter what the terms, or aren't you know uh, able to navigate. Right. So so a lot of them would be first generations. Some might struggle with some of the the, the navigation of the system. And our point was, in every other country, you know, almost every country is structured somewhat similarly, right? They all have small businesses, and they all and their small businesses will look like our small businesses. And we're the only country um, that you can find who who have done nothing on on grants the small businesses, nothing so far. And so you know, we're we're cautiously optimistic about the announcements around rent, but nothing on on reducing fixed costs like rent. And really importantly, nothing on moratoriums on evictions. So you talked at the very beginning about uh, uh, businesses beginning to get uh, evicted because you, we are now two weeks past April 1st. Businesses that didn't pay their April 1st rent now could be uh, evicted. Uh, and Australia, uh, which has the same jurisdictional challenges that the Prime Minister talked about as we do, uh, you know, has a national moratorium on, on commercial evictions for six months. Yeah, because so, I, uh, I, I think there's a we are advocating for a bunch of things, but rent, I would say rent is the topic on the minds of the uh, um, you know storefront small business community right now. Absolutely, we are very hopeful, uh, you know, very encouraged to hear about rent today. Uh, we just want to be um, super clear that um, uh, in order for it to be helpful, it needs to be sufficient. It needs to be abatements rather than deferral, and it needs to be inclusive. So lots of industries, and if they can achieve that. That would be super helpful for so many businesses across this country. That was Libby Snymer's conversation on Thursday with Dennis Darby, president and CEO at Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. Ted Mallett, vice president and chief economist of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And John Shell, co-founder of the advocacy group Save Small Business. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Well, here's some really good news. Even some vulnerable patients can and do recover from the virus. Bill McCormick's mother, Margaret, did just that. She's 89. She has dementia, and she lives at the Mark Haven Home for Seniors in Markham, where there have been a number of COVID-19-related deaths. Bill joined Libby on Wednesday with his hopeful story. On March 9th, my, I believe it was March 9th, my wife went to go visit my mom, and they told her then that she was in isolation. She had a fever. They gave my wife a choice. either to come, If she came in, she had the mask, gown, and gloves. Uh, my wife said, no, let her rest. So they weren't sure what it was at that time, and they hadn't tested. This is like before all the testing really started. So she stayed in there in isolation, and there was another resident also in isolation. So um, they didn't test her for a week later. My wife, who is a nurse, Sandra, she uh, kept saying to them, like, let's test her. She could be, she could have uh, COVID, um, only because she had two symptoms. Uh, public health wasn't ready to test her, and then I guess it was the second week in to her illness. They did test her and it came back positive. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, she's she's amazing. Like she's eighty nine. She'll be ninety in uh, August, and she's just like she's beat it as far as I'm concerned. Although we don't have a confirmation on that for her second test for negative, but she's alert, no fever. She's um, she's eating well. Her vitals are good. 
So we get to visit her from her window. She's on the first floor at Mark Haven. So I go there a couple times a day just to check on her and, and keep an eye on her. Good and for let you. her know we're all here. It was very hard for the PSWs to get her to eat. There was times when she wouldn't eat at all. There was other times when she'd eat maybe 20, 25%. And, you know, as it went on, as she felt better and better, now she's eating good. She's, like I said, she's very alert. She's, she sleeps her normal sleep. Like when we go to the window, she's awake for us. Whereas before she would just say hi and then go right back to sleep. It was. Did, did she get any um, special treatments? I mean, there is no cure for this. No, there's not. So it was... no, she she didn't. She just got a lot of uh, a lot of love from us. That's important. And uh, how long did this last? Well, hers was hers was close to three weeks. Like if like from the testing, it wasn't three weeks. But we knew. My wife knew. Like she knew the symptoms. She knew there was something wrong. It's just that public health wasn't testing at the time, like, as much. Right. And when they finally did, it came back positive. And, um, Bill, so what, what? what's your message to people about this experience? I know that other people with loved ones in long-term care are terrified. It is terrible. And it's scary when they get ill and you can't go in to see them because then, so for my mom, like, she got familiar with all the staff. And she was very content before this illness hit. She was, uh, it was like our other family for her. She, they, they were amazing. Mark Haven's staff was amazing. And then people started getting ill. And then the PSWs and a couple of nurses got sick. So they had to bring in other people from agencies who my mom wasn't familiar with and having dementia. She yeah. just, she was so confused. And it was just, yeah, it was so sad because we'd be outside the window and she'd be saying, can you come in and get these people out of my room? Because they were all gowned and masks and gloves. And she Now she doesn't know who they are and she has no reason why they're in her room. And it was really scary for her. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a problem for people with dementia and, and uh, things that are, and people that are unfamiliar. Um, but right. Thank God that she got well. Well, she got well, and there's a couple of nurse or PSWs that uh, fortunately never got sick, and they know my mom, so they, you know, they're in there joking with her now, and she's laughing, and she's she's getting to a familiar place again where she's comfortable. Well, which when we go to the window, she's not begging us to come into the room. She understands. Like if I say, okay, mom, I'm going to go home and have dinner. I'll be back after she, she's okay with that. Now I really like to thank Mark Haven and their PSWs and nurses. They're, they're amazing. Bill McCormick, son of 89 year old Margaret McCormick, who's recovered from COVID-19. You're listening to the best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Mark in Mississauga phoned to give accolades to the workers who take care of his mom. Today was uh, this morning I was able to visit my mother at Silverthorne Care Community and those folks have just been doing such a wonderful job 
you know, I, I have to thank the, the folks at Silverthorne. They, they've just been tremendous. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Paul in Etobicoke, who shared a personal experience with COVID-19 and nursing home staff. My wife works in a long-term uh, home in Toronto, and one of the staff tested positive for corona. The staff obviously, you know, remained home in quarantine, but the staff member did have contact with basically everybody in the nursing home. So the case in, in my wife's case is that they would like all the staff to be tested before returning to work. If they're in the incubation period and they're at work, they could be spreading it to the residents and they wouldn't know that. But they're basically telling them that unless you're showing signs, there's no need to be tested. But by that time, it could be too late because you could actually be spreading it being in, in, in the incubation uh, period. And it's like a catch-22 situation. I don't know. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.